in the Men's Institute, we've been talking about work, and, and we've learned that originally uh, man's vocation was to create and to cultivate, and he was to be a life-giving presence in the garden. He was to help, help to nourish and, and help that garden to flourish. But there's a problem. After Genesis 3.15, and Adam and Eve rebels against God, all of a sudden, that which was to bring them joy is difficulty, it is cursed, and now their, their whole perception of work changed. Whereas work prior to the fall was in order to bless others, now we work to bless ourselves. We're in a habit of working not for the benefit of others, but for our own satisfaction. And, and Sadly, this is the approach many Christians have taken to their, their work and service today. And I believe that Martha, it, that she busied herself with serving because in her mind, she equated how hard she worked with how much Jesus will love her. She's lifting up. If, if I can work this hard and this much, then surely Jesus can love me this much. This was her shot. This was her chance to be deeply loved. But is, is, that, is that how Jesus works? Turn with me to Matthew, the 20th chapter. I want us to see a few things about how, 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 how God operates. Because he still has a perfect blueprint for work. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour. And the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those who now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These lads worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first last? That's not how the kingdom operates. You don't work to gain Jesus' love. Because he set his love upon you before you could ever love him. 
the way that Jesus operates in the kingdom of God is that it don't matter if you came in first, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, or, or you, you barely got in. The same love he has put upon all his people. There's no distinction. God is not trying to make you jump through hoops in order to love you. The kingdom is totally different. And what this teaches us about Jesus is that he has a deep, abiding love for the least of us. For those who think that they're nothing, those who think they, that they can never be good enough for God, Jesus loves you. For a large part of my, my Christian walk, I've had that, that approach to Jesus. That I'm going to work really hard and, and surely Jesus will love me more. Yeah. And there was a period of time in my life where Jesus was really, he was really breaking me. He was showing me, he was just showing me how much of a fraud I was. I was show. I, I had no depth. I was all show. And he was breaking me. And so I began to uh, set this pattern of study while I would wake up really early and I would, I would read through the scriptures a certain amount and I would begin to journal a certain amount. I would pray. And if it wasn't for a certain amount of time, I felt like I was failing him. And in the beginning, it was rich. And, and, and for the first couple of days, I mean, I am really being blessed. And after that, I began to uh, feel good about myself when I got it all in. Surely. Jesus loves me. Spent two hours with him this morning. Sure, things will go well today. But as time went on, and you may miss a day, or you may you may miss a prayer, you may miss a scripture, and all of a sudden, this, this I felt like I became a Christian weightlifter, and I was just benching scriptures. If I wasn't memorizing scripture, I wasn't doing it right. If I wasn't praying for an hour, I wasn't doing it right. And if I, if, I, if I wasn't journaling, if I, and I had all these, if I wasn't, and I began to put more weights on the rack, and I, and I thought I was getting stronger, but I was actually getting weaker. Because Jesus don't work like we do. He says, you can't be strong. In order for, for me to show up, you have to be weak. Because when you are weak, now I can display my strength. And you realize that it's not about you. Some of us, we're working. We're working hard. We're working and we, and we say, if, if I don't do this, if I don't get this done, if I don't take care of this, surely Jesus wasn't love me. But I'm, I'm going to free you up to that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you were nothing in the first place and he still saved you. As soon as you begin to believe that you need to prove yourself to Jesus, you'll be distracted from his presence. Martha fails to recognize that if Jesus initiated the relationship and that Jesus is God, then he knew how messy he was before he got there. He already knew you. What have you focused your attention on that's, that's been hindering your satisfaction in Jesus? Has, has ministry got you bogged down? Has, has, has parenting in a, in a godly way wore you out? Going to the same job day after day after day, trying to be a light, is that wearing you out? What about school? Are, are you, 
Is it difficult being an example for all those you come in contact with it, and you just rather not go? Each one of these are great things. But when you're doing it in your own strength, trying to prove yourself to Jesus, you will fall flat on your face. Jesus knew what he was getting when he saved you. He knew who you were. He knew the good. He knew the bad. He knew all the ugly. But yet, in spite of, in spite of who we were, who we are, he has chosen to save us. That's the epitome of love is free love. Not because I can do anything for him to love me. I'm, I'm unlovable. I am unlovable. But he loves me still. What, what's happening here in the text with Martha, there's this pattern of deception that's, begins, that's taking place. Because in the beginning, she welcomes Jesus in and, and she's excited. And there's a joy. So Jesus is her joy. And then after that it goes, she begins to work. Now Jesus is, is her joy, and she brings some joy to the table because she's working, all oh, working for Jesus. Look at me now. Things have changed. I'm brand new. I'm excited. I'm on fire. And then towards the end of the same passage, now is she is working alone. Trying to receive joy in her works. This dinner had become more about celebrating Martha than it was about celebrating Jesus. And we got to see how this approach will always cause us to fail and cause us to lash out. Isn't that how it works? We've been working really hard, we're tired, we wore out, we're frustrated. Let somebody, let, let, let somebody, let somebody say that something went wrong on my watch. I wish you would. I wish they would not show up. I, I, I'm so tired. Did I tell them? I emailed them four times. And then I called them. Ready to go off in ministry. Because our satisfaction is coming from what we're doing. And not the one who sent us to do the work. I feel like this all the time. I, I have such a gracious wife. It's, it's, it's two days that she gives me so much grace. Two days is when I'm taking kids to a camp and I'm getting everything ready and we're about to go on vacation and I'm getting everything ready. But I, I have this list, this big list of stuff that needs to get done and I need to check it off because I'm, I'm like OCD like that. It got to be checked off. Is it on the list? No, that's not on the list. Let's get it on the list. Check it off. And, no, and, and by God's grace, I've gotten better and better. That if something ain't on the list, I'm not tripping. But I, I will receive satisfaction from getting it right. And Jesus wasn't in that. And, and, and many of us in here this morning, we're, we're trying to live this Christian life, and, and we're frustrated. We have no joy. Because we're trying to get everything right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said, you ain't going to get it right. That's why I went to the cross. Past, present, and future. Verse 40b, we, we, we see how she responds like this. And she went up to him and said, I mean, 
the way the re- the way the, the language reads, I mean, she's like she's like the bold. Everybody sitting, listen to you. She just come in like, what's up? There's a problem, Lord. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She didn't come in like, excuse me, Jesus. Um, take a little help in the kitchen. No. Jesus, do you not care? I'm in here working hard for you. I'm in here slaving over the stove. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And y'all just sitting there. Can you imagine? She, she's speaking to the creator. The same breath she's using to curse God. He gave that to her just then. The audacity she has as she approaches Jesus. And why would she ever talk like that to Jesus? Because the distractions of, of life will harden your heart towards Jesus. Her search for significance through her service had become her treasure. And now on the verge of failure, her false hope is now fading and she lashes out in desperation. She's just lashing out. The problem that Martha had was her view of God. She had a wrong view of God. And it, it, it Having a wrong view of God usually manifests itself in three different ways. We usually either, we, we, we serve to be good enough for Jesus. And, and, that, and that's, that usually takes place when someone just comes from a, a, just a rough background. And they, they just, they know they've just been doing a lot of dirt. And they got a lot of sin. And like they walk past, it's just a lot of dead bodies in, in the back. They just, it's just broken. And they think that I, I would never be good enough for Jesus. He, he saved me, but, but there's, there's still something I need to do in order to get rid, rid of this weight and this baggage. I, there, there's something else I need to do. Or it, you get, it manifests itself where you think you need to serve to get something from Jesus. This is the, this is the deal maker. Lord, my, my marriage is not working or this ministry is not working out. I'll do this if you fix this. The, the, the foxhole type here. Lord, I, I'll do this, Jesus, but, but I need you to do this. But then lastly, people are, we can actually try to serve to pay back Jesus. And we may think this is noble, but this is actually pride. Because we don't want to owe nobody nothing. The type of people that we, if someone does something nice to us, we got to top it just so, we don't, just so they don't think I owe them anything. And that's how we treat Jesus. John Henley in his book, Serving Without Sinking, How to Serve Christ and Keep Your Joy, he says this. When we serve for any of these reasons, we will give up. These motivations for service are limited. They all lead to the same place, the dull drudgery of cheerless duty. They lead us to, to be bitter with God, Annoyed with others, desperately disappointed with ourselves. And when we reach that place, we are not far off giving up on loving Jesus. Have you gave up on loving Jesus this morning? Have you been trying to prove yourself to Jesus this morning? Do you wonder what happened to the joy that you used to have? The excitement you used to have about Jesus? If so, then you're probably looking for satisfaction outside of Jesus. I call you to come home today. Come home to his arms. Come home so he can give you rest. 
come home now. Satisfaction quickly fades once we are distracted. Then what are we to do? We look to Jesus. For Martha, distractions have become master and she became the slave. But there is hope because Jesus is the answer for those enslaved by the distractions of life. Let's look at verse 39. The text tells us that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now from Martha's comments and later in that chapter, we may think that Mary is some, some type of goody two-shoes. Why do we hate goody two-shoes? Why do we hate people who, who get it right? Because they're exposing us. They're exposing our sin. But I don't think she was a good, uh, good two-shoe. I, I, I actually think she was a father. And she shows us that when we, we will find the need of grace to fight distractions when we sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary was a, a fighter. She, she begins in this text showing us that she's willing to fight tradition. Because in, 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 in the biblical day, a woman would not sit at the feet of a rabbi. A woman would not be a disciple. A woman was not a learner. She, she was barely educated in the first place. So a woman would never be at the feet of a rabbi. But a woman would be cooking and preparing a meal and, and serving. But, but, but where is Mary? At the feet of Jesus. Mary is fighting against tradition. Just because it's been that way, and when it's always been that way, and other people want me to do it that way, sometimes I'm going to have to fight against tradition in order to get at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes I'm going to have to go against the grain and say, I, I know what you said, but this is what we said. And we're going to have to fight against certain things in order to get at the feet of Jesus. She was a fighter. If we look over in John, the, the 11th chapter, it says that when her brother had died, in verse 28, when she had said this, Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house Consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is fighting back against emotional distraction. In a time in her life where she could have been the most upset, the most angry at God. Someone near and dear has died and, and, and is gone. And she knew it. If Jesus was, was right there, he could have did something. But yet, she still fights against emotional distractions and sits at the feet of Jesus. Mary's a fighter. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, 
And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Now watch this. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary was willing to go against egotistical distractions. When it came to Jesus, she was willing to do anything. She had set her pride on the shelf. And she said, I'm going to get at your feet, Jesus. Matter of fact, I'll take my hair. I'll take whatever I got. I just want to anoint your feet, Jesus. It doesn't matter what, what I have to do. I'm, I'm willing just to be at your feet, Jesus. And for some of us, we are so proud and, and prideful and arrogant that we say, I, I know you want me to do that, Jesus, but I, I just ain't ready for that yet. And we're letting distractions keep us from the feet of Jesus. Each time we see Mary mentioned in scripture, she's at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus is the posture of a servant. At the feet of Jesus is the posture of a disciple. At the feet of Jesus is the posture of satisfaction. Mary, she kept going to the feet of Jesus because he is the source of all satisfaction. In verses 41 and 42, he shows us this. He says, back in Luke, the 10th chapter, but the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Since Jesus is the source of all enjoyment, he's calling Martha, look at me, trust in me. And he uses his word here, but one thing is necessary. Yeah. Necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's a good idea. Come on. Uh, this is not, not just take, take my opinion if you want. No, he says this is necessary, which implies that she was missing something that she actually needed. Right. She was actually in the negative, and, and Jesus wanted to put her in the positive. It's necessary. Right. He's necessary. And amongst the turmoil of that day, Jesus is giving Martha a choice that had eternal implications. Will you sit at my feet and eat? My son is growing quickly. And I'm finding out, finding out having a young man in the house means he's always home. And we always have to feed him. And he's always saying, I am hungry. Can I have a snack? I am hungry. Can we eat? I'm, I'm hungry. Can we have McDonald's? And, and he's hungry, but he's hungry because he's grown. I'm hungry. Can we stop at the restaurant? I'm hungry. Can we, can we just eat something, Daddy? And, and I can't be mad at him. He's growing. The difference between Mary and Martha in the text. Mary's hungry because she's grown. Martha's not hungry because she's dying. She's starving. She's trying to live off her own, her own fame, her own glory, her own news. She's, she's trying to do it in her own strength. 
And until we begin to hunger for the word of God, we will continue to starve and be miserable, disappointed, frustrated, burdened, depressed Christians. Until we sit at the feet of Jesus and eat. Jesus is talking about feeding her soul. So she could either continue to be overwhelmed by a bunch of unnecessary things that's only pertinent to this life, or she could actually choose Jesus, who's necessary for this life and eternal life. For, for the good portion, there is eternal hope in Jesus alone. And I love what Jesus does with these words. He says the good portion. And he breaks it down for Martha. Martha, you're cooking a meal, right? You're actually cooking something for me to eat. But your portion ain't good enough. You need the portion that I have. Because in John, the sixth chapter, Jesus declares in verse 25, Jesus had just fed the people. He's across the sea. In verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your field of loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? What, what, what I got to do? What I got to do? How do I do this, Jesus? He doesn't even answer that question. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him and send him. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the, in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Martha, you, you're trying to make a meal for me, but I am the bread of life. What happened was while Martha was busy making a meal for the guests, Jesus had already made her plate. And it was time for Martha to sit down and eat. Mar Martha, Martha. You got it twisted. You, you thought you were doing something for me while what I actually came to do something for you. Martha, Martha, you're running around here like a, a chicken with their head cut off. And uh, why don't you sit down somewhere and eat this meal because it's what you need. Martha, you, you thought you had the best bread in Bethany. But, but, but your big bread can't do anything. Can, can your bread make the lame walk? Martha, can your prayer make the blind see? 
Martha, can, can your bread cast out demons? Can, can your bread calm a sea? Can your bread break strongholds? Can, can your bread break yokes? And I'm here to tell you this morning, your bread ain't worth nothing because Jesus is the bread of life. And what you think you're doing for him, he's actually already done for you. Can, can your bread break drug addictions? Can your bread break sexual addictions? Can your bread break depression and oppression? Can, can your dead resurrect a dead life? Can, can it resurrect a dead marriage? Can it resurrect a dead son or dead daughter? Your bread can't do nothing, but he is the bread of life. If Jesus really is the bread of life, then it's time to get somewhere and sit down. And let God be God. This is why. This is why. This is why satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. Because he's the only one that makes things brand new. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just fix a situation, he makes it new. Jesus is the answer for those enslaved by distractions of life. Get somewhere and sit down. Sit down at the feet of Jesus and experience true enjoyment and complete satisfaction. Sit down. Sit down. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. There's some of you in here today, and though you're sitting down in seats right now, you're sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, you're standing up. You're refusing to humble yourself before Jesus. You're refusing to submit to his authority. You're, you're refusing to submit to the authority of scripture. You're refusing to surrender all your cares and your wants in your life to Jesus. Sit down. Sit down. Because my fear is that there are people all over the world and in this church who profess to be Christians who've never themselves sat at the foot of Jesus. Working and working, working and working, and I've never sat at the feet of Jesus. Doing and, and going and busy and reading and never sat at the feet of Jesus and wonder why they're so frustrated, so miserable, why this Christian life has no joy. I thought Christians had all the joy. They sing in the church. I got the joy, joy, joy. <laughs> they sing what they sing about it. But ain't nobody got it. Amen. Get somewhere and sit down. Sit down, church. Amen. Sit down, saints. Jesus don't want you to serve off of fumes. He wants you to serve out of his overflow. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, he'll fill you up. He doesn't fill you up to the top. He makes it overflow. So while you walk around serving, you got a full cup. And people just give you your overflow. They just, they're just reaping the benefits of you who have sat out with Jesus. They're reaping the blessings that because you have been at the feet of Jesus, they're being blessed. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we begin to sit at the feet of Jesus? 
Do we start an early morning early morning prayer line? Do we do we commit to reading the entire Bible in a year? I'm gonna do it this time. I'm gonna do it. Those are good things, but those aren't necessary. You must sit down in your heart, cry out for mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, I've been going about this whole thing wrong. I've actually been making this Christian life more about me than about you. I've been working on the meal, Jesus. But really, I'm just trying to show up. Jesus, I've I've been setting the tables. I've been showing up early and staying late. But it really hasn't been for you, Jesus. It's been for me. Have mercy. Jesus, have mercy on me. Stand broken. Don't do anything. Sit down somewhere and cry out, have mercy, Jesus. I'm so tired and I'm struggling all the time, Jesus. Have mercy, Jesus. Father, have mercy on me that I may have strength. Have mercy on me that I may have energy. Have mercy on me that I may be a witness. Have mercy on me that my heart would uh, love you like it should. Have mercy on me that my affections will be right before you. Have mercy on me that I begin to love the word of God. Have mercy so I can enjoy Jesus. Have mercy on me. We cry out to Jesus. The sweetest thing about all of this is why Jesus is doing this. Why, why is Jesus doing all of this? Peter gives us a look into this in, in 1 Peter 4 and 11. He says this. Whoever serves as one who serves Let me take it back to the beginning of the verse. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. He's saying what to do. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You, you know why Jesus saved you? For his glory. You know why Jesus established his church? For his glory. Do you know why he's given us this word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For his glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know why he gives you the privilege to pray? For his glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know why he gives you a, a, a right mind so you can memorize scripture? For his glory. Yeah. Do you know why he gave, gave you a mouth and some lips? Yeah. For his glory. Yeah, Do you know why he gave you a soft heart that's not a stone? Yeah. For his glory. Yeah, yeah. Do you know why he gave you legs and feet? So you can go and proclaim his glory. Jesus is doing everything for his glory. And I'm glad. And I'm glad. And I'm glad. As John Piper puts it, I'm glad he does this. God loves his glory more than he loves us. And that is the foundation of his love for us. 
He loves his glory so much that he will not let it fade. And because he loves his glory, he's able to love you with that same strength. And he goes on to say, everything in our salvation is designed by God. Why? To magnify the glory of God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is doing salvation. He is changing your heart. He's changing your mind. Why? For his glory. I can stand on that. Because his glory would never fail. Never. What distraction do you need to fight off by grace this morning? I dare you to press into Jesus. I dare you to press into Jesus and be set free. Mary's complete surrender to Jesus resulted in freedom to worship and enjoy Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of all enjoyment, we must constantly fight off the distractions of life and find satisfaction by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Father, have mercy on us today. Father, have mercy on us today. Pour out your grace that we may come and sit at your feet and learn. For you give good news. And Father, when we find complete satisfaction in you, then you are most glorified in our lives. And Father, we want you to be glorified and we want you to be magnified this day. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.